Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, masks, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. Find out more at InsideMusicCast.com. From all of us at Inside MusicCast, thank you for your support. When he was young, James Raymond knew he had a special gift for music. Yet somehow he felt that this natural ability stemmed beyond what his adoptive parents and his education seemed to provide. At the age of 30, he began the arduous task of finding his birth parents. When he secured his birth certificate, the name David Crosby appeared. When James finally had a chance to meet his legendary birth father, the two of them hit it off and almost immediately started making music together, including the two incredible CPR albums from the late 90s and early 2000s that also featured guitarist Jeff Pivar. Aside from his integral work with Crosby, James has also carved out a niche with writing, composing, and producing music for television and film, along with a collection of his own songs. His latest project found him back in the studio with David Crosby as he produced his latest album titled For Free. James wrote and co-wrote several tracks with guests Michael McDonald and Donald Fagan, contributed backing vocals, arranging horns, and played several instruments, including piano, synths, and programmed drums. Inside MusicCast is pleased to welcome James Raymond. Hey James, thanks for joining us today. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. Hey, yeah. welcome, welcome. Well, this is fun because I've wanted to have you on the show uh, for a long time. I've been a fan for, you know, ever since I learned about you, probably, what, 25 or 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, for our oh, listeners uh, catching this podcast and, you know, maybe they don't know much about you or your background, I want to start out by first mentioning that not only are you a super talented singer, songwriter, and composer, but you're also David Crosby's son. And, you know, when I first learned about you, I had only heard maybe a small part of the story that, that you didn't meet Cros until you were about 30 years old. And, um, you know, what I always assumed is that you grew up with your biological mother, who later in life introduced you to Cros, but, you know, that actually wasn't totally accurate. Right. And the fact is, is that you were adopted. Just out of curiosity, were you adopted at birth by your adoptive parents? Uh, yeah, I was probably f uh, four months old, I think, four or five months old when I was adopted by my adoptive parents. Well, you know, I, I kind of relate to you in many ways because uh, my son is also adopted. And, uh, oh, fantastic. But our process was an open adoption, and we have, uh, you know, we've been in contact with the birth mother throughout my son's life. And, you know, I really appreciate this type of process as we knew that someday, you know, he'd want to meet his birth mom. Sure. And that day is actually coming soon for them. Um, and But, you know, obviously you were around 30 years old when this new discovery happened. But how did your adoptive parents react when you found your biological parents and, and who they were? Oh, well, um, it's interesting because my, um, you know, my, my adopted dad, John Raymond, when I was um, – getting ready to get married to Stacia, my wife, yeah. he said, he told me, you know, now might be a good time for you to search for your biological parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hadn't before, mainly because I didn't, you know, didn't want to hurt their feelings, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so to kind of have their blessing to go ahead and search for my birth parents, that started the whole process for okay. me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when, when I did find... Uh, my birth mother Celia yes. and and eventually David um, they were very happy for me and um, 
just thrilled. You know, they yeah they got to meet everybody got to meet and uh, they had uh, quite a reunion. You know, you've you've responded to so much reaction over the years about the connection you made with David Crosby, but I'm curious to know more about how you connected with your birth mother and if the two of you developed an ongoing relationship. We absolutely did. Um, sadly, uh, Celia just passed away a couple years ago. Okay. Um, a year and a half ago, I guess. Okay. And uh, she uh, lived in Perth, Australia, um, where she was, and she had lived there maybe for 30 years uh, by the time when I met her in the 90s. So she was an American expat that moved over there. And um, we, when I found out she was my birth mother, mm-hmm. well, she started looking for me right around the same time I was looking for her, Okay, uh, which was very strange. That is- <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there was something just out in the universe, I guess, bringing us together. But yeah. um, she flew over for my wedding in 94, and that's where we met, uh, wow. you know, that wow. week leading up to my wedding. Um, and... She had traveled, and then she traveled to the States a few times, and I was able to see her when I played with Crosby, Stills, and Nash in Australia yeah. a couple times. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So, you know, we spoke a lot by phone and over, you know, FaceTime and stuff, but um, didn't get to spend a whole lot of time in each other's presence, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so James, when, when you initially saw... David Crosby's name on a birth certificate. Did you have any idea it was the David Crosby? I mean, did you have uh, any inclination that it was him? How did that happen? I I think deep down I did know that. But Uh uh, I guess as a defense mechanism, part of me was thinking, oh, it's just some guy named (laughs) David Crosby. Right, exactly. Uh, But I, you know, I have a lot of friends that were musicians and I – I kind of dug dug through some channels and found out, you know, what his middle name was, and that right. kind of confirmed it, yeah. that that was, in fact, the guy. So you were familiar with his music at that time. I mean, you just sort of putting the, the, the pieces together, right? I was, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't a huge Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan, yeah. really. They That was... Um, a, I came along a bit later, so I was into, you sure. know... Uh, Stevie Wonder and um, Elton John and then Toto right. <laughs> things yeah, like yeah. that uh-huh. and all the all the all the studio players uh, like you guys mentioned um, right. that's what I wanted to be I wanted to be a David Foster or a David Paik you know yeah, yeah, right. um, but I he, I grew up singing along to the radio so I, I when I found out he was my biological father um I hearken back to hearing those songs on the radio, probably singing along to them, you know, mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, yeah. so I did know their their body of work just, you know, through osmosis, basically. I think it was interesting what you just mentioned about how you met uh, Celia when you at, at your wedding. And, and then when it comes to David, you know, I know you're initially hesitant to reach out to him. But when you learned that he was ill and needed the liver transplant, that I think that propelled you to reach out, right? That's right. Um, that's when I kind of stepped up my efforts, um, yeah. mainly at my adoptive parents' mm-hmm. urging. They they said, you know, it'd be a shame for him not to meet you if he didn't make it, right? Uh, kind of thing. So um, yeah, I just kind of stepped up my efforts. 
um, a guy that I was working with on a television show, a guitar player named Marty Walsh, knew Mike Finnegan, uh, who sadly just passed this last week. Oh yeah, that's right. And and Mike uh, was the facilitator. He he kind I I got Mike's number, called Mike and told him the whole story. And uh, he, Mike was great. He he said, "Well, I'm going to go visit him in the hospital, Crosby in the hospital." And I don't want to kill him with this news, but <laughs> I will. I will talk to him about it, and uh, that's how it. That's how it went down. It was all due to Mike Finnegan, really. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it was probably. I, I don't know. Just I'm just guessing. I'm putting pieces together, and to me, in my mind, you're meeting him at that particular time. Um, had to be sort of like a rejuvenated, you know, process for him in some degrees. Do you, I mean, would you agree with that? I think so. I think. Um, yeah. He's always been a searcher, you know, musically, and yeah. I think he was looking for the next kind of chapter uh, in his musical endeavors. And um, boy, I, I, I lucked into coming along at the right time because <laughs> yeah, we we very quickly. I think once you know he realized that I I was a good player and a writer, uh, we started CPR pretty quickly after that and, yeah. and started working on our first record, which was very exciting yeah. for me. Well, one of the reasons I mentioned that is because, you know, I once read a quote from Cross who said that when he was lying in the hospital bed and, you know, figuring that maybe he was close to death, he had, he had a lot of remorse about not being there for you. And then you suddenly appear. And it's almost kind of like a divine intervention to some degree. That's right. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, things were kind of lining up in the right way. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that maybe helped, you know, his uh, his turnaround a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would like to think. <laughs> well, you know, I've always felt that your story was so inspiring and unique, and not only from the sheer beauty of you know reuniting with your birth parents, but also from the connection with music. So, let's go back, and we'll call this BC or before Crosby, and tell <laughs> tell us about your uh, path to music, such as how you became interested in it, you know, your influences, and if you felt like music was destined to be your career path. Yeah, I <clears throat> very early on uh, was musical. My my parents said, like at the age of three or four, when we would visit a relative or friends with a piano, um, that's where they would find me. Mm-hmm. So they, they knew that I just kind of gravitated to that instrument. Um, and they were smart enough to kind of push me in that direction, got me a piano, mm-hmm. um, and... Man, it was off to the races. I kind of didn't want to do anything else. I started writing songs yeah. and, you know, learning um, by ear everything that I could at eight or nine years old. And um, I think I think early on it was uh, I was very into, you know, the Beatles and Elton John, Stevie Wonder, um, because those these were the records that cousins would give me and kind of say, hey, you, you're a piano player. Listen to this guy, <laughs> you know? Um, so those are my, my first influences. And, and just the writing, too, of, of Elton and Stevie Wonder and then even Billy Joel and McCartney. Um, I was, you know, I missed the Beatles uh, era, but I was really attracted to um, the, uh, Paul McCartney and Wings, just that sound and his writing uh, for that band. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, even when I hear that stuff today, it just, 
moves around some molecules. Yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, as as I'm sure it does a lot of people, but it, yeah. it, I, you know, between that and Elton, and I was studying classical. My, you know, I was taking piano lessons and learning a lot of Beethoven and okay, and uh, Chopin. I really connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I was very fortunate in that I had this great piano teacher, Mrs. Geiger, who pushed me to do the classical stuff, but also let me learn, uh, you know, pop and rock stuff. So I th- at my first recital, I think I played, um, you know, Furelise mm-hmm. by Beethoven and um, Black and White by Three Dog Night. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my first piano recital. So that, that was... Uh, that set the stage for me to kind of have that duality. I well, guess, for a that while. might be the only time in history that those two songs were played back to back. You have to look at it like yeah. this. I mean, we're really just talking pop music, but different eras. Yeah, that, okay. that's true. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's true. there's a it's, thread it's, there, right? It's, it's, the, it's the pop music. Man. That's right. It's music that was hot back then. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> totally. I, I love know, knowing that, that you're a, a, a quite proficient. Uh, you answered my question, actually, you know, where you were studying, but you, you, uh, you were trained formally then. But then you got in. To, I mean, I'm a keyboardist player myself, so I, you know, let, let's get geeky a little bit for our keyboard listeners because if if our audience saw some of the posts that that Rick did on social media on our uh, Facebook page earlier, we reposted mm-hmm. a um, you your breakdown of Rodriguez again, and that was really fun. That w- we really enjoyed that, and I'm sure oh, that cool. you know, really, really uh, neat. Uh, it touches every keyboard player's buttons because you're going through, you know, you have a, a full Logic setup and and you have a wonderful library, and you started breaking those down. In fact, you use a lot of spectrosonic sounds, where we love the Omnisphere, Trillium libraries, great stuff. How do you like using the patches and working within a form, you know, as a formally trained keyboardist, pianist, and now you're going into the digital side quite deep now. How Talk to us about that whole environment. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, very early on I was um, – my whole focus was to get into synthesizers. I, mm-hmm. I worked at a, a music store here in San Bernardino where I grew up called Brave Roffs, and they had a couple of Moogs and ARP synthesizers, yeah. and I, I couldn't afford any of them. But, um, <laughs> that's why you work there. <laughs> that's why I work there. That's exactly and, but right. <laughs> I, yeah, but you know, I was supposed to be at the front of the store, you know, at the mall, demoing the Lowry organs and like the, the little goofy <laughs> organs. And I would never be, I would always be at the back playing yeah. with the polymoog or whatever. And I got fired <laughs> for just that reason. <laughs> the Lowry. <laughs> it was, it was short lived because I didn't want to go play, you know, those lame organs for old biddies <laughs> roaming around the mall. I, I wanted to right. play the moog and the arp, you know? Yeah. Um, but eventually I was able to afford, you know, a, a Yamaha electric piano, uh, and then DX7, and yeah. that kind of set me on my path to to that. And you know, fast forward to now with with all the great virtual instruments that are available, mm-hmm. it's it's just so liberating. I mean, I, I feel like there's not a sound that I can't find or or create with, and that's um, that's so powerful to me because um, not only does it just broaden my horizons as a writer, but um, it, it makes me uh, a better keyboard player, I think, because I I have to learn finger-picking styles yes. on these virtual acoustic mm-hmm. guitars. And mm-hmm. I learned 
how to play pedal steel on a pedal steel, <laughs> you know, a pedal steel virtual instrument. So yeah. it's kept me very um, interested and in moving forward. I think as a as a player. You met, you said something pretty interesting that it's uh, now that you have your hands in these beautiful virtual sounds, these patches. You you ha- really have to learn how to play a different instrument in a way that's a technique for a piano and a keyboard. And it's a people have to understand it's not just a piano anymore. You're playing a secondary instrument. I mean, I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And you know, I th- I think initially when I first got my hands on like a a virtual or a, you know a sampled acoustic guitar yeah, right. and I laid some stuff down and I, I got some feedback like, oh, it sounds like a harpsichord or whatever. And that just pissed me off. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, I am not going to sound like a freaking harpsichord. <laughs> so it just, it forced me to kind of like, okay, let, let's, let's get it under the hood here and figure out how to get these pull-offs sounding right, you know, and, and stuff like that. So right. that, that kind of uh, lit the fire for me to try to, because I, I didn't want to hear that harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> Those bad samples or the whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I want to go back and stick to that BC era that I was talking about, you know, and before you met Cross. And talk to us about the the types of work that you were involved with as a working musician and, and where you were – you figured your career was headed. I mean, you kind of mentioned a second ago that you wanted to be like the, the next David Foster. You wanted to do that kind of work where you were really being a, a session player. Is that the type of work you were doing at that time? Um, no, I mean, uh, on a very small scale, yeah. I grew up, uh, you know, in a, what they call the Inland Empire, uh, uh-huh. about 60 miles east of Los Angeles. Okay. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of work out there for studio musicians, but I would kind of make my own work. I would save up some money from my, my day jobs and put a band together and write a song and go into a little studio out there. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing about where I grew up, the Inland Empire, it was just a hotbed of great like r&b and funk musicians um and i was so fortunate in that i think especially certain guys um recognized my talent and took me under their wing and showed me stuff to listen to and put me in these rhythm sections with these like kind of legendary guys at least yeah um not just for out there but just in general um that really shaped who I was as a musician. Yeah. I mean, they they taught me how to groove, how to play in a rhythm section. Um, I I got more into jazz out there. Uh, I was in a band, um, kind of Riverside-based band called Jasper that was a kind of an R&B, jazz, funk group. Mm-hmm. And they were, it was such a, I, I wasn't the, the initial keyboard player, I, I, I kind of worked my way up the ranks <laughs> and got to play the, with them. But um, so many great players would drive from Los Angeles out there to the Inland Empire to play with these guys. And that's, that's where I uh, met all the players that kind of helped me to the next step of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Met, I started a great drummer who's uh, no longer with us, sadly, Bubba Bryant, um, was playing out there with us, and he got me an audition with Ronnie Laws, um, okay, great jazz saxophonist, yeah. and that so that was my first gig. That was my first tour was with Ronnie Laws and and Bubba. And, wow. Um, so that kind of set me on that that jazz, uh, my entree into the jazz world. Really, very cool. 
Well, this next question is me putting myself in your shoes because you mentioned earlier that it seems that you know soon after you and Cross uh, reconnected, you. You, like you said, you almost immediately started making music together. But even before the CPR stuff, I know it was like in 93 or 94 that you worked on the Crosby Nash album and co-wrote, you know, or wrote or co-wrote several songs on that album, including Lay Me Down and Luck Dragon, Grace and Puppeteer. And here's the putting myself in your shoes part. In, you, just meeting Cros and getting into this whole world, did it feel awkward? I mean, could you believe that you were suddenly working with these legendary musicians and contributing to their craft? Or, or did it just feel natural from the get-go? You know, it it certainly felt natural uh, when I started working with David, just because we we got so tight so quick and mm-hmm. just became like brothers. Mm-hmm. And and then you know, with the CPR stuff, we with Jeff Pivar, we just kind of holed up and wrote that first record together, and it was such an exciting time. Yeah. I, I didn't, I never, you know, I maybe early on, like the very first song we wrote. I was very nervous that I was going to screw it up. <laughs> uh, but he loved what I did on this song called Morrison that right. he had given me lyrics to. Mm-hmm. And um, so that felt very empowering. Like, oh, I, I do belong here. Um, I, f- I felt like a valid, you know, writer and, and, and artist, basically, yeah. because of that. Um, when he started introducing me to, you know, Graham and Jackson Brown and people like that, it was... It it just felt kind of normal, just because yeah. they didn't make a big deal out of it, and they were so welcoming and so cool. Yeah, um, that it just made me feel like, oh, I yeah, I'm uh, these are these legendary guys, kind of a generation uh, ahead of me, but they're accepting me yeah. because they recognize that I can play, and right, I, right. you know, I I have this talent, so. Um, you know, there there were some some instances where it was maybe a, a bit awkward with some some people of that ilk, but uh, yeah. for the most part, it was it just was kind of a natural flow, I have to say. Yeah, and then moving ahead to CPR, and I was going to mention that track, Morrison. Um, you know, that of course that was a song that was sort of a response to Jim Morrison's life um, and how it was portrayed in that Oliver Stone film, but. You know, everything, when I first started that album, and I can't remember how I even found out about CPR. Um, you know, I, I'm i not sure how it was, but I remember getting that album, and I just, it was like, it was a, it was an album I just couldn't stop listening to. I mean, it just mm-hmm. <laughs> it just gave me a whole new, That's... kind of opened my mind to uh, to some of Crosby's earlier work, you know, and uh, because I hadn't sure. really, I hadn't really listened to much of their stuff either. But I wondered how the CPR trio, it's actually not a trio, there were a couple other guys, Andrew Ford and Steve DeStanislau. Um, they were all involved in this too. Tell us how this this all came together, the CPR group. Well, uh, when I uh, <clears throat> when I did write that song with David the Morrison, um, he said, "You know, I have this idea. It's been percolating. Um, there's this great guitar player that I met and I've worked with a little bit, Jeff Pivar. I'd love for us, the three of us, to get together and mm-hmm. just see what happens." Okay. And of course, I was game. Um, you know, because I trusted Kraus word on it and and sure enough you know the three of us got together and there was just such a forward momentum and mm-hmm. um just a creative bomb kind of went off we we quickly wrote like three or four songs um in a matter of a month or two you know yeah um so the first thing we did was a tour just as a trio just the three of us which was incredibly fun and and then Krause 
got a, a record deal basically found a found a label gold circle yeah entertainment i think and um got a budget um we had at the time for me was a huge payday uh <laughs> more, more money than i had ever made as a musician i was like this is this is really great you know I like this um, i like yeah this. <laughs> I, I could deal with this um yeah it, it was uh just i felt like the luckiest guy in the world yeah. making this great music yeah i get to tour with really cool people but when he was started talking about the the record um you know, David asked me, do you have any guys that you'd like to use? And I instantly thought of my my two closest pals who I had played with, you know, basically since my teen years, uh, Andrew and Stevie D. Yeah. Um, I said, well, you know, because Jeff was lobbying to get some of his guys and I was lobbying hard for those two just because I had such a history with them and I knew Cross would love their playing. And sure enough, um, you know, I think we brought Stevie D in to play on Morrison and yeah. and Andrew and Krause was like, that's it. This is the band. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're going out with this group, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was very satisfying, you know, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> to, uh, to get those guys in there and, and, and Jeff took right to them and we all just had such a, uh, kind of a musical shorthand. Um, yeah. Very that cool. It, it, yeah. It just made it really fun. You know, we've had Jeff on the show before and um, Inside Music Cast. And it's, my, I'm just curious, have you, Jeff and Cross, ever considered doing another CPR album? Yeah, I think I think we have. I, uh-huh. I, I don't know that it's ever been ruled out. Um, you know, I I know these last few years, David's wanted, wanted to do these specific projects. Right, um, right. So there, it hasn't really slotted in. But um, boy, never say never. That's for sure. Well, you know, the track Morrison off of uh, that first CPR album is such a fantastic tune. It's it's the lead track on the album. And let's go ahead and pause and play this one. Uh, again, this is the track Morrison from CPR from our guest today, James Raymond, on Inside Music Cast. He was lost and I don't think He wanted it that way Like a gull blown inland On a stormy day Lost in round one Spitting out pieces of his teeth In a Paris graveyard Kang is on ring And I've seen that movie And it wasn't like that He was mad and lonely Blind as a bat To the bridge and the falling trees Too deaf to hear his Bye. 
but he'd flown from his homeland. You could see him there—a gull circling in the high desert air. I've seen that movie, and it wasn't like that. He was mad and lonely, blind as a bat, to the bridge and the falling trees, too deaf to hear his own song. You see, somehow I have to learn from this, 'cause I can hear him cry and feel the hiss of the wind in his feathers and the sand on his feet as he dies in the Thing that I, I really appreciate of over these past few years um, about crosses, and we've mentioned this with other you know guests of ours. Um, you know, we really have of, of the spirit of collaboration. You know, and and it seems as if right now Cross is just, you know, he's ready to experiment. Right? I mean, it's uh, you can you sure. can feel it in the music, Michelle yeah. Willis and and Jeff and you and Rebecca and, Stevens. And, yeah. I mean, this he's got this steamrolling thing going like, yeah. let's create. Come on, everybody. Let's make these connections. Mm-hmm. And it's just not one path. I, I'm really enjoying that right now, especially at his age. Absolutely. You, you don't see output uh, from, well, now an 80-year-old yeah. <laughs> artist uh, yeah. doing this kind of stuff. Uh, it's really um, astounding and so inspiring, really. I mean, it gives me hope yeah. for my uh, <laughs> golden years <laughs> that, <laughs> that maybe, uh, maybe yeah. I can – keep that kind of output going uh exactly. yeah he's he's certainly been a force these last these yes. last few years and um boy I'm, i just feel incredibly lucky to be a part of it you yeah. know um, I, I just read today that allison krauss and uh and robert uh, plant robert plant are going to be touring again uh they're going to be i know album yeah like, that, i that saw that cool. too that's uh, that's really cool Very i nice. hope they do another record together too i like uh, that yes one. definitely 
Hey, you know, James, you know, aside from all the songwriting work you've done, another facet of your portfolio is uh, scoring for television and film. And uh, one of the things I noticed, one of the credits I saw was a major film release that you worked on, uh, August Rush, that starred Robin Williams. Talk to us about your work for that film. Oh, um, well, I did not do the score for mm-hmm. that, but okay. um, the uh, producer of the film asked David to do some some guitar playing, I okay. think, for for some of the scenes where the kid is playing guitar. And um, and so David and I, I kind of produced the sessions and I think just played some minor keyboard atmospherics behind okay. um, what David... But I helped David kind of facilitate what what they were looking for for these scenes because I had, you know, a background in, in composing and stuff. And, uh, so yeah, it was a great credit. I wish I would have been able to do more on it, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really fun because, uh, I think David just played some really cool stuff and an open tuning that, that just, um, really came across well in Mm -hmm. the film. I thought, Hey, you know, one of our inside music cast correspondents, his name's Brian Pearson, um, he turned me on to your SoundCloud page where you have quite a few samples of your work from cues to instrumental compositions. And you also have a couple of really incredible funky songs in there. One is, I think it's called MRI and the other one's titled uh, Heaven's Right Here With You. And I, I listened to those tracks and I love them. I didn't even know they were there until a couple days ago. Brian pointed <laughs> that out to me. But I can't, I can't oh. find them in, like on streaming platforms or to purchase. Is there any chance you might release those? Oh, I did release those just as a self-release, okay. um, like on, on Apple Music, and I think they were on Spotify. Oh, okay. um, it was one of those things where they didn't get released, they escaped, basically. <laughs> um, oh, I okay. hate when that happens. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it made me realize, you know, as cool as that is to go the CD baby, you know, and this is not a slight on, on any artists that do that, but yeah. it's... Um, it's kind of the tree that fell in the forest a lot of times <laughs> if you don't have a label behind you, uh, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not the best uh, self-promoter uh, in the world. So <laughs> I just, you know, I, I have a lot of fun doing that stuff and I, I think I will do more, but I, I think I would rather <clears throat> try to find an indie label or somebody to help me with the other part of <laughs> the sure. other part of the equation, you know? <clears throat> but I do have a lot of ideas um i've been actually writing um some like country uh like americana pop kind of stuff mm-hmm. okay that i'm looking looking to try to get placed with other artists so okay. I'm, I'm about to put some of those up on my soundcloud just to so maybe some some big americana country western artists sure. can go shopping yeah yeah either that or reading between the lines and maybe there might be a solo project coming out i mean you never you never know you know yeah, you never know. Yeah, I've I've <laughs> thought about that too. Um I I don't know. I've I, I think over these last few years I've kind of realized that I really like being behind the boards yeah. and mm-hmm. and producing and writing uh more so than being um you know out out in front and and the and sure. the artist, I of guess. Of course, of course. But uh but I see a lot of producers doing projects like that that um are very cool and so yeah, I guess it gives me ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, Going to kind of jump back to Cross, but the focus of these songs or this 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 conversation about Crosby is going to be more about the focus on, you know, your role and how, you know, you've you, what you've played in, in his music in the past several years. Because we just talked about how in the last seven years, anyway, he's released five 
albums, and you've really been an integral part in most of those. And so jumping back to 2014 on an album called titled Cross, uh, you, you know, you wrote or co-wrote a large number of songs, and a, a couple of my favorite tracks on there are What's Broken, the one that you penned, and also Find a Heart, which you co-wrote with Cross and uh, Marcus Eaton. And uh, I kind of felt that, that song had kind of had a CPR vibe to it, you know. I, <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely. So how do, how do tracks that feature a trio of songwriters like that work? Work. I mean, such as you know, for Find a Heart, for example, who who took the lead on that track, and how did the others participate in developing the song? You know, I think the the germ of that song Marcus brought in. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I, I believe he had kind of a, a chorus, mm-hmm. um, some of the some of the lyrics, and and Kras and I basically helped him finish it. I think, um, and it be, yeah, I think it be, kind of became uh, more of a collaboration as we d- got deeper into the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it happens all different kind of ways, especially with Kras. Sometimes he'll bring in a piece of music, um, or he'll you know, another, another writer like Marcus will bring in a piece of music and he will either write lyrics to that or look for some lyrics that he has in his treasure chest (laughs) of lyrics that, that might fit. And, um, yeah, yeah, we, and we just start throwing stuff around and and seeing what's going to work, you know? Yeah. You know, I I wish we had I wish I had like two or three hours with you because I could talk about every album and everything <laughs> in between there because oh, I had so man. many questions. But I want to jump ahead because I want to talk about this this brand new Crosby album for free, uh, which was released in late July. And I want to start off with the title track for free, which is a Joni Mitchell song that I think Cros has recorded maybe even a couple of times before. But but this version yes. is really special and it features Sarah Jarosz. And, and, and you laid down a really gorgeous piano track for this one. And uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, when you're assigned the task of reworking, you know, a Joni Mitchell song, how did you sure. approach this new arrangement? And did it ever cross your mind that Joni might think about, or it, did, you ever, did it ever cross your mind that, you know, Joni might hear it and what, what you might have thought about when you were composing that? Oh, gosh. Well, I, <laughs> I try, yeah, I tried to put that out of my mind because that's yeah, yeah. Uh, too much pressure. <laughs> no. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I... Cross and I talked about kind of honoring um, Joni's version of it. Um, So I really um, dove into that that piano version of Joni's Mm -hmm. uh, just to see what made it tick. Right. And um, and then I just tried to kind of internalize it and do my take on it. Um, But she was there in in my mind the whole time. Sure. Just it's such a challenging tune because it's basically seven verses, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a very traditional song form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew, you know, David and I talked about the focus just being this duet um, with with he and Sarah. Um, so I knew I wanted it to be very sparse, but also the challenge was over those seven verses to make it right. interesting so it doesn't <clears throat> just sound cut and pasted, you know. Right, right. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty challenging, but I I just um, I laid the piano track down with no vocal, just kind of okay. knowing, kind of reading the lyrics along and yeah. um, imagining what it would sound like, and and then we got David's part on there, and it w- it was working great, and it was supposed to be just a a scratch piano track, uh-huh. and many times when I do that, Kraz will get a, 
huge case of demoitis right. and say, <laughs> demo don't love. change a note. Demo yeah. love, yeah. <laughs> uh, demo love. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, all right, if you think it's good enough, then it's good enough. And uh, <laughs> that, yeah, we just, we stuck with that. That happens in my business because I own an audio post studio and, and I work with voice talent a lot. And, uh, you know, and sometimes a voice talent will send in an audition that they cut at home. You know, and then when you, then when you go to record the real thing, they can't get, they can't get it out of their head. <laughs> what that demo sounded like, the audition. And right. so and then they want you to clean it up and just try to use that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like man, that was, I know. It's, it's such a it's such a can of worms, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's why I never uh, I never trash any MIDI file. No. Or, or you know, or, no. or scratch track because Hang I know, I just know that Cross is going to say, what happened to that? <laughs> right. You changed when you did. Yeah, you changed exactly. it. Yeah. Speaking of Kroz, you um, you know you wrote one track with Kroz and Michael McDonald, and it's um, you know it's funny we we laugh that um, you know in our minds there's no doubt that if this song would have been released you know let's say twenty with, years ago or something yeah exactly yeah. this this would have been definitely a chart topping hit it's yeah, called yeah. River Rise and um, was this the first time that you ever got to work with Michael uh, yes huh. absolutely how it was, was it. Um, Oh man. Well, you know, when I was writing the song, um, I just heard Michael on the background parts with Cross. I just knew mm-hmm. that was going to be a glorious sound. Yeah. Um, and I asked Cross, I go, do you think we, Michael will sing on this? And he goes, I don't know, ask him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I did, I, you know, I had his number. I called Michael and and said, "Hey, I have this tune. I wondered if you would, uh, for Cross's record, I wondered if you would sing on it. He was like, sure. I'd love to. And, you know, I said, I can come up to you, uh, up to Santa Barbara where you live and get a studio or whatever, wherever. And he said, no, I'll come down to your place in Altadena. Um, and he did. So he drove down here, showed up at my studio and I had to, uh, come clean with him. I said, you know, I, I haven't finished the whole song. I've, I still need to write a verse. Yeah. I, I was so excited to have him. I was like thinking, I, well, at least I'll just get his choruses. You <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. And and Michael is just so cool. He's like, well, do you want to work on it? And I I thought, heck yeah, heck let's yeah. do it. You know? <laughs> um, twist my arm. And so Michael helped me finish uh, the second verse, the bridge, saying all the backgrounds all in the course of that afternoon, basically. Yeah. He just, wow. he's such a force and was yeah. so... So good and so fast and so um, generous, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was just, yeah, it was a thrill of my life because I I grew up such a fan of Michael, his solo work and the Doobie Brothers. I mean, that's who I modeled myself after, honestly. Yeah. It was was him in my teen years. I, I, I was so mad that I couldn't grow a beard like that, you know, and... <laughs> Everybody, uh, come on! Yeah, and, and that ha- the hair and that you know, my eyes weren't blue, but right. man, he was just like this. He was this large, looming figure in in my life. And then he had to life. then he had to issue a record with the up close, you know, beard. What was the yeah? Name? The black and white photo with him. him yeah. and his, oh, I know. All his yeah. glory of his beard <laughs> and his hair. And I know. The, I'm no, like, really the, seriously, the the full thing. God you know, does give with both both hands. We, um, we, We've had him on the show a couple of times, and 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 I've met him several times too. Yeah. And he's he's you know I, I, 
I'm not just saying this, you know, because we've had a lot of really nice people. You're one of the nicest people we've met, but but there's nobody nicer than Michael. <laughs> I mean, no. he's, he's the nicest man in the world. He is. <laughs> he absolutely is. He's a complete mensch and and just a just a gem of a guy. I mean, yeah. and and you know that's um, you know they that saying don't don't meet your heroes. Well, in this case, yeah. Boy, I, you know, I'm so glad I did because uh-huh. he's everything that I hoped he would be like, mm-hmm. and more. I mean, just so generous of spirit, and and just so talented and gracious. You know, I mean, it, he's a great um, model for for any musician. I think to yeah. to just be that kind of cool and humble and and uh, yeah, I, boy, I just can't tell you how thrilled i was that i got to do that and um that's such a great experience i'm super proud of that song oh it's a fantastic song it's so good and thank you that line that that you just mentioned you know don't meet your heroes is a perfect segue into the next question because this one has to do with donald fagan and and i donald fagan is like the top of the mountain for me you know I, i just i love steely dan they're my favorite band but the song rodriguez for a night um, this is a special one, you know, for Cros, you know, be, you know, having collaborated with Donald, and, and as we all know, that Steely Dan is his favorite band, and, and that this song is certainly an homage to Don and Walt. But I, I heard Cros say that that Fagan wrote the lyrics. First, I'm curious how Cros was able to enlist Fagan, and what was your experience working with him? Wow. Well, you know, I th- uh, David um, met Donald at some Steely Dan shows, basically. I think whenever we were on the road and we crossed paths with Steely Dan, we would find a way, come hell or high water, if we had an off night to go see them. Mm -hmm. And in the course of that, um, I think he got word backstage, hey, I'd love to meet Donald, and he finally got to, and and, uh, they hit it off. And and I, I think at a certain point, they were emailing back and forth, and Kraus got comfortable enough to say, hey, would you want to work on a song? with us, you know, or write a song for me or collaborate in some fashion. And um, it didn't happen for a while, but out of the blue, uh, he sent this set of lyrics uh, to Cross and I, and they were just amazing. I mean, it was such a cool story. Um, so I, and so it wasn't like we ever got the three of us in the same room, uh, although I have met Donald uh, on a couple of occasions. And uh, so it was. It was kind of, you know, at first just me with those lyrics, uh, trying to find something that I thought honored <laughs> how great those lyrics were. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which is no, no small feat. I mean, there, there's, uh, there were some lyrics that when you read them, you can hear Donald singing them. Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so, so that's that's kind of a blessing and also a curse in a way, <laughs> because you know when I was coming up with the music, I was like, "Oh man, please just let me get onto something first try. That's really good because if I have to keep coming at it from different angles, I'm going to start second guessing myself, right, and right. I'm just gonna I'm gonna fuck it all up, and he's gonna hate it, and you know." So whose um, idea? So whose idea was it for the character Rodriguez? Uh, Donald's, yeah, it was. It's he, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, he that that set of lyrics that is the final record was his final draft, <laughs> his initial, his initial and final draft. I think right. great um, tune, great tune. Yeah, they're ju- it's just a great uh, song. I mean, it it 
it brings me like to uh, <laughs> old the old west, and there's yeah. all this great great imagery and right. jealousy <laughs> and right. yeah, uh, it's it's epic in the true Donald fashion, you know. Well, um, you nailed yeah. you nailed the Steely Dan vibe oh, on this exactly, track, though. Exactly. But I mean, it was, it, but you know, this actually wasn't the first time you've had the honor of of sort of doing this because in 2017 you wrote another Steely Dan esque track titled "She's Got to Be Somewhere," and it's is it tough to write and arrange a song that captures that kind of vibe, that Steely vibe? I, you know, I guess it is. Um, I. I'm not going for necessarily a Steely Dan song, but right. I think there there's so much of that music in my in my DNA. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, Asia came out when I was uh, a senior in high school, and I literally played the album every day for a year. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and Gaucho too. I mean, <laughs> right. They they became kind of a harmonic bible <laughs> for me <laughs> uh you know I, just those chord shapes became ingrained in me and and those melodies and uh so you know on the one hand i was i was not wanting to parrot uh steal it you know donald's writing or try to mimic it but but that's what came out i mean yeah. I, I just tried to um just be honest with myself as a writer, mm -hmm. um, and those were the chord changes that those lyrics kind of brought out of me. Yeah. And um, my initial instinct was to maybe fight that and go a completely different direction. And and I played a bit of it for Cross, and he goes, "No, we're going this way." <laughs> you know, he goes, "This this is really good. I I can sing the shit out of that. Um, we're going to go for it." Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that made me happy, and uh, and then to hear that Donald likes the song. Um, oh, that's even you better. know, <laughs> it's it. Yeah, it, it's fantastic because you're always worried about that. Like, oh, here's who's this you know guy trying to <laughs> trying to push up, um, you know. So there was a lot of concern on my part as far as that went, but um, yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it worked out okay, and um, I just love writing in that style where. It, I guess it is in that Steely Dan style, but the the basis of it is it's harmonically interesting, goes places that you don't really think about. Has, and I really like those kind of Fender Rhodes kind of funky kind of yeah. tracks yeah. where there's some there's some figures that you can really dig into. Yeah, you know, and then and then the horn writing. I love writing and arranging for horns, so I got a chance to do that on this one and. Yeah, yeah. Just, and I, I want to mention on that note that if uh, anybody listening that um, go to James's uh, your YouTube channel because yeah, um, yeah. because you broke down the in Logic Pro um, how you put that song together and some of your thoughts about the horn arrangements and all the pieces of that song. Check that out at at at, um, at James's uh, YouTube site. And um, you know another we're, we're just about finished, but I want to mention one more song because I, on this album because I heard Cross's interview on Howard Stern where he really praised you for what he deemed the best track in the album. And that's the last track in the album called "I Won't Stay for Long." And I, I have my own thoughts about the lyrics and the idea behind this story, but tell us your synopsis of what this song is about. Oh man, well, it's such um, a beautiful song. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of it. I. You know, the, the idea for the song came about, um, my wife and I watched uh, a movie called um, 
Black Orpheus. Okay. Um, which which is a telling of the story of Orf- Orpheus and y- Eurydice. Eurydice, yeah. Eurydice. Eurid- Eurid- Eurydice. Um, and it's just a kind of a beautiful movie set in Rio de Janeiro in the favelas with Jobim music. And but the but the story of it, um, you know, uh, a, a person who loses their the love of their life and they want to try to visit them, you know, beyond the grave. Um, okay. To go to the other side and spend just a night or a day with the person that they lost, and that that just spoke to me in in a, a profound way. I just thought it was such a beautiful story, and yeah. I. I tried to kind of just paint a picture of um, a modern telling of that, of somebody missing, um, you know, their their partner who passed away and, and mm-hmm. wanting to um, just see them one, one more time, one even more for time. a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, let's pause for a second because uh, I'd like to play a track from this album titled For Free. And a couple of obvious choices would have been River Rise or uh, possibly uh, Rodriguez for a Night. But uh, I want to play one that possibly uh, a lot of people haven't heard yet, unless, of course, they have the album. And it's the track we just spoke about, I Won't Stay For Long. This is such a poignant, beautiful song, and, um, and I, I really love the contributions you made to this, James. Thank you. So here it is, uh, I Won't Stay For Long by David Crosby, and of course, our guest today, James Raymond, on Inside Music Cast. One, two, three. I'm standing on the porch. Like it's the edge of a cliff Beyond the grass and gravel Lies a certain abyss And I don't think I will try it today I'm facing a squall light Of a thousand year storm I don't know if I'm dying or about to be born But I'd like to be with you today Yes, I'd like to be with you today And I won't stay for long I've got a place of my own, a little slice There's a sliver of air between the water and the ice It's where I live, where I breathe An abandoned song It echoes through this well I've fallen in If I could just remember the smell of your skin Then I could live, I could breathe, I could breathe I'm asking perfect strangers If I look to be alright I feel 
like I lost an anchor in the ocean of my life And I don't want you to see me this way I won't tell a soul I'll only worship the sun I won't turn around to find you when I'm on a distance I just need to be close today I need to be with you today and I won't stay for long I've got a place of my own A little slice There's a sliver of air between the water And the ice It's where I live Where I breathe And a band Well, it's a beautiful song, and the, uh, the the new album from Cross is called For Free. And of course, James, you played such an important role Absolutely. on this album. Oh, we, thank and you. And I love the work, you know, the, the behind the scenes work, at least on this, and all the great writing. I, just one more question: um, just what's on your calendar for the remainder of the year, and maybe heading into twenty twenty two? Oh gosh, well, I'm um, Cross asked me to produce and mix uh, a live record from the Crosby band. Um, oh, that's fantastic. From Yeah, from a couple of the pre-COVID, uh, pre-pandemic tours. Oh, excellent. Um, so I've got that on my plate. And then my daughter, um, Gracie, got signed to a record deal. She's nice. a, a singer and a songwriter. Yeah, when, when the pandemic hit, uh, she came to me and told me, you know, Dad, I... I really want to work on my music. Mm-hmm. I don't like this job that I'm doing, and I, I just need it. And so I said, well, come on over. Let's start writing. And we did, and we kept writing and writing, and Kroz uh, kind of got us in the door at his label at BMG, and oh, awesome. they loved what we did uh, with her. So she got signed to a, a two-EP deal. That's awesome. Um, on BMG, yeah. So we're uh, we're at work uh, right now on that. Um getting ready to release her first EP. Yeah, people picking have out which, which yeah. songs and yeah. Uh, very exciting. Well, James, this has been great having you on the show. Uh, I've wanted to have you on for a long time and uh, I'm glad we could finally do it. Oh uh, yeah. I was telling Eddie I had a, you know, 100 questions I could have asked you, but and he could have. He really could have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for doing this and uh, we look forward to maybe having you back again sometime. Oh, I would love it. Yeah, we will have to have a, a follow-up for sure. It's such a pleasure talking to you guys. All right, take care. Thanks again. Bye now. Special thanks to James Raymond for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We also want to thank our Inside Music Cast correspondents for their support and dedication, including Brian Pearson in Chicago, 
Kim Riley in South Florida, Scott Gross in Tampa, Mikhail Ingstrom in Stockholm, Scott Sheriff in Nashville, Don Brightup in Los Angeles, Loretta Sassaman in Seattle, Yinka Oyelese in New Jersey, and Arnaud Legere in Paris. Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, masks, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thank you for your support of Inside MusicCast.